0: Revelation 11, as we continue through the book of Revelation, I cannot leave to go to the seventh and final angel and the seventh trumpet until I make a little bit more definitive comment about the two witnesses. For in Revelation 11, after John was given a read, a measuring read to measure the temple about which we discussed last week, we talked last week. He said in verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Now we'll work our way all the way down through verse 13. But pause for a moment to be reminded that there are two witnesses that are coming in the middle of that tribulation period of seven years in which God finishes his chastening with Israel and now begins to keep his promises that the prophets made of reviving Israel and restoring Israel. Ezekiel made the prophecy, Isaiah made the prophecy, Jeremiah made the prophecy, Zechariah made the prophecy, Habakkuk made the prophecy. Again and again, I will restore. I will return and revive my people Israel. Now, in the middle of that tribulation period, we must not miss the import of the two witnesses. The two witnesses are to preach repentance and the message of the kingdom in the middle of that tribulation period. That a to preach, judgment is coming. The same message John the Baptist preached before Christ came the first time. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And so just in getting ready for the return of Christ to set up his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. It is a call to Israel to turn back to God. He's getting ready to revive and restore her. Israel will be deceived in that first three and a half years by this Antichrist. But then in the last three and a half years, there will be a great reviving. Now, why does God leave a witness in every generation? Why does God leave a testimony to every age and every people? Now, take your Bibles, hold your hand here for a moment, and turn back to Acts chapter 14. Now, in Acts 14, when uh, you read this passage, you will recall it is a familiar passage, but buried in there is a very important statement. It is when, when uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas are being uh, almost glorified in verse 11 uh, by the people there in Lystra, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men, and they call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude and said, verse 15, Why are you doing these things, men? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. Now watch this. Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. He let them go the way they wanted to. But even though he let them walk in their own ways, and that's what God does with us sometimes. He lets us go our own way. He lets us go our own direction. He lets us go our own course. He gives us rope with which to hang ourselves, as it were. Look in verse 17. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. Now hear that. God never leaves a generation without witness. He did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And there are three things. If if anybody in the world never heard of Jesus, if they never went to Sunday school, if they never had the Word of God, notice the three things that Paul identifies. First, he did good. And the goodness of God is a witness to every generation. Secondly, he gave seasons, fruitful seasons. The seasons are a witness to the goodness of God. And third, he filled our hearts with food and gladness. I was visiting a man down here in uh, the village apartments years ago when they were first built. And the man said to me, no, 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 I don't want to hear about Jesus I want to know what's going to happen to that heathen in Africa who's never heard about Jesus. What kind of a God would send him to hell? I said, sir, I'm not worried half so much about the heathen in Africa as I am the heathen in this living room. <laughs> I said that gingerly because I would gotten a pretty good relationship with him. I had earned the right to do that. Fortunately, he laughed and I laughed. I think I laughed first and then he laughed. I was trying to, you know, the power suggestion is great. I said, sir, what's far more important about Africa than Africa is you. You've heard Christ. What are you going? You've heard about Jesus. God never leaves himself without a witness. He has never left himself without a witness in every generation. Now, there are three reasons why. First, God is a just God. God is a just and fair God. Count on it. Take it to the bank. Secondly, he will always have a basis for judgment. The reason God gives a witness to every age is that God creates through that witness a basis for judging people. He has a basis, anybody who goes to hell, he has a basis for their choice of hell. They have rejected some revelation of God. So, for that reason, because he always has a basis for judgment, he left a witness in every generation. And in the middle of the tribulation, the witness... When the church has been withdrawn, the witness is the two witnesses. It's the two men who come in the spirit of Elijah and Moses. Whether they're Elijah or Moses, and we discussed this last week, is not all that essential, but they come in the spirit of Elijah and Moses. And they're individuals, and they are witnesses, they're preachers of truth. And the scripture declares that these two witnesses leave a witness in the tribulation period so that whoever is judged at the, in the judgment of the tribulation, they still God still has a basis even for judging them. Now, Paul puts it this way. In Romans 1, he said creation is a witness. All creation is a witness. Romans 1, 18, 19, 20, and 21. In Romans 2, he says conscience is a witness my inner conscience, which tells me something is wrong, which tells me when I have my inner moral policeman, a reflection of the moral image of God. And in chapter 3, he said Christ in chapter, 20, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Christ is the third level of witness. Every man sees the, the witness of God in creation AND IN CONSCIENCE AND IN CHRIST. OF COURSE, I BELIEVE IF A MAN RESPONDS TO THE LEVEL OF LIGHT GOD GIVES HIM, GOD WILL SEND HIM MORE LIGHT. IN in CORNELIUS' STORY IN ACTS CHAPTER 10, WHEN HE HAD RESPONDED TO THE REVELATION OF GOD IN NATURE, GOD PICKED PETER AND SENT HIM FROM JOPPA UP TO Caesarea TO BE A WITNESS TO THE MAN WHO WAS CAPTAIN OF A ROMAN HUNDRED. AND THAT MAN, CORNELIUS, WAS SAVED. We don't earn our salvation, but when God sees, we, we respond to the light we have. God sends us more witness, but God never leaves himself in any age without a witness. In Adam's age, Adam was the witness. In, Abraham, in Noah's age, Noah was the witness, and he preached repentance. In Abraham's age, Abraham was a witness, and he said, God's called me. In Moses' age, the law and the tabernacle was a witness constantly reminding the people of God. In the kingdom, the prophets kept calling Israel back to repentance. In Christ's time, Christ himself, the living word, was the witness. In this age, the church, you and I, are the witnesses and the copies of the word of God, which the Gideons leave. And in the tribulation age, these two witnesses form a basis for God's judgment for those people born in that time I grew up in a family of six boys and I can tell you none of us could ever get away with anything without somebody being a witness now my father was a very just man if uh, anybody picked on any of the six boys in our family you had all six of us to deal with but inside the six folks it was highly competitive who did that? I didn't do it. John did it. No, I didn't do it. David did it. No, I didn't do it. Paul did it. I didn't do it. You know, somebody else always did it. And when you have six, uh, five brothers and there are six boys, you've got plenty of choices to blame it on, right? Lots of options. My father's response to such was to whip us all. And that way he said he made sure he always got the right one. He would make sure he got the right one. But in reality... The joys of the large family meant that there were always folks, brothers, who were more than willing to witness against you. We were never without a witness. Now, I want you to understand that. That is why God raises in this terrible time, just before the seventh trumpet sounds by the seventh angel, you see the revelation of the two witnesses... In the middle of that revelation, in the middle of that tribulation, two witnesses to remind us that God never leaves himself without a witness. There is some witness your sin left behind. Be sure your sin will find you out. It will always follow you. You can never cover all your tracks. Sometimes there are inanimate witnesses, things you left behind. Sometimes it's a person who knows, but God never leaves himself without a witness. And the task of the witness is to witness to what happened and to witness back to God what happened so that God has always a proper basis for judgment. Now, in the story of the two witnesses in the middle of the tribulation, there are five characteristics of the witness in every age. And here they are. And I want you to work your way down through there with me. First, every witness has a prophecy. Notice Verses 2 and 3. I will give power, in verse 3, to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy. Every witness has a message. Never been witnesses like these. John didn't even see them. He heard them. This is a different dispensation, so they have a different message. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not our message Our message is grace. In this age, we are witnesses to the grace of God. We tell folks we have some good news. Christ forgives so that when you are forgiven by the cross of Jesus and you're cleansed by the cross of Christ, there is no judgment and no condemnation. I will never forget when I went to college, to Bible college, I was 17 years old and they found out I could play a trumpet and everybody had to have a Christian service assignment, they called it, and they assigned me to a street meeting in Largo, Florida. I tell this story in the ShareLife tapes, and in that first Saturday night, it is 148 degrees in Florida. There are mosquitoes everywhere. It's Saturday night. We're in the middle of the square in Largo. It's 1955. I know this seems like ancient history. It's 1955, and my job is to blow the trumpet and attract a crowd. I guarantee you, you can do that. If you stand in the middle of the street and play a trumpet number. And I did that. The crowd came. Some guy preached. All I ever knew to witness to was the Romans' road. And the Roman road begins with all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And this fellow was preaching and telling about the good news we had to share. And I thought, oh boy, this is my chance to witness. And I walked up to somebody when the message was over and started witnessing to him. And he said, Do you have some good news? I said, I sure do. And the first thing I said to him was Romans 3.23. Here's the good news. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the guy dropped his jaw about three feet. And he looked at me and said, what did you say? I said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I didn't know how else to prophesy. I didn't know how else to witness. I'll never in my life forget what that young man said. He looked at me and he said, are you crazy? I thought you said you had some good news. I know I'm a sinner. That's not good news. I know I'm going to die. And he turned and walked away. Our message in this age as witnesses, we're placed here in this age to give a witness to this generation that Christ died and there's an answer to our sin. The good news is not that we are sinners. The good news is that Christ has gone to the cross to die for our sin. And we don't have to continue in our sin. And we can be forgiven of death and condemnation and punishment. That is the good news. Two witnesses. Hold your hand here and go back to Zechariah in the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew, then the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And then Zechariah chapter 2. Do you remember when in Zechariah uh, Zechariah chapter 3... In the picture, God's going to give a prophecy through Zechariah of the revival of Israel. Verse 1, he showed me Joshua. Zechariah the prophet in his vision saw Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Here's Joshua and here's Satan. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Satan was there to charge Israel with her sins. And God rebuked Satan. And Joshua was clothed with filthy garments standing before the angel. And the, Satan was there to say, Look at the filthy garments of the high priest. The worship, and Joshua represented spiritual worship, the worship of Israel has been adulterated, it is filthy. And verse 4 says, he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, to Joshua, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. I will purify the worship of Israel. I will purify the worship. Let them put a clean turban on his head. They put a clean turban on his head. They put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And then God charged him to live in obedience in verses 7 and 8. And then in chapter 4, we see another lampstand. The angel who talked with me came back and wakened me, verse 2. And he said, what do you see? And in this vision of God's future restoration of Israel, he said, I am looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And the stand on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps, and two olive trees are by it, one on the right, one on the left. And the olive trees symbol, symbolically feed olives and thus olive oil into the lampstands who are the witnesses. In Revelation 11, these are not stars of the churches, preachers of Christ, the church is going to heaven on earth. These are witnesses to Israel. But notice in, in Revelation 11, there are two lampstands and two olive trees. And they represent the fact, and go on in now in Zechariah 4. So he said, Do you not know what these olive trees are for? And he answered in verse 6, This is the word of the Lord disrobable, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Witnesses never have to witness in their own power. God has the olive trees and the olive oil representing the fullness of the Spirit to empower his witnesses to preach in every age. God never asks you, to share Christ with somebody, but what he has, the olive trees of the Holy Spirit standing beside you to fill you with energy. And so it is in the book of Revelation, when you see the two lampstands, the two witnesses to Israel, as God gets ready to restore Israel, they're the two olive trees feeding the lampstands. Two, the number of witness. Two angels at the resurrection of Jesus verifying he is gone. Two men in white there on the Mount of Olives when he is ascended, there are the two witnesses of the truth the law and the gospel Moses and Aaron Joshua and Caleb coming back from the land as spies and there's Zerubbabel and Joshua and there's Peter and John and there's Paul and Barnabas and there's Timothy and Titus and God sends out Christ sends out the apostles two by two and the 70 two by two that's why when we witness we go two by two that's why if you've got a burden that is breaking your heart find a prayer partner and get two people praying for you god listens when two people agree two is the number of witness christ the word of god is a second person of the trinity two two olive stands two olive trees and two lamp stands the prophecy a message ladies and gentlemen that responsibility has not been withdrawn from this church Everything God gives to this church, including that building, is given so that we might prophesy, preach the truth of God for this generation. Let the world hear about Jesus. It is the task of every member of this body. Tomorrow begins an era of time in this church, which I've waited for a long time. It's a big step of faith. We will for the first time in the history of this church have a staff member whose primary focus and primary function is evangelism throughout the entire church. I am so excited. Uh, It's a step of faith. I do not know where the money comes from, but I'm trusting God. But we must get the message out of Christ to this generation. We have an obligation to this city that no other church in this city has. You have an obligation to these Gideons that no other church has because of your size and because of what God has given us. And all the people said, Amen. Not only is there a prophecy here, but in every age, God gives power then. That leads us to the observation, these two witnesses in verse 2 had power they had power to tread, uh, to, to defend the holy city, which will be under fire for 42 months, or 1,260 days, which is the length of their prophecy, three and a half years, half of the tribulation. And then in verse 5, if anyone wants to harm them, now these witnesses are unlike any other witnesses of any other age. Fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed. They have power to shut heaven. That's Elijah's power so that no rain falls. Power over waters to turn them to blood. That's Moses' power. They have an unusual power to protect and defend. Now in our age, the truth of God is our shield. We stand on the truth of God. I want to tell you, folks, you don't have to defend the Word of God. It will defend itself. It stands. Men have tried to destroy it, but the truth is our shield and buckler. you believe that? I stand on the Word of God. But in this day, they had power, unusual power to defend themselves because of the unusual time of tribulation. It reminds me of Jeroboam's time. Do you remember when an unnamed prophet from Judah in the Old Testament came to Jeroboam the first and when he called Jeroboam to account for his his golden idol calf, Jeroboam reached out his hand to touch the prophet of God and do you remember what God did to his hand? Does anybody remember? As he reached out to destroy the prophet, to do damage to the prophet, his hand withered and he couldn't use it. A reminder not to touch God's anointed prophet. You better be careful. And the scripture reminds us that the same thing happened to Elijah. Ahaziah was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. How would you like to have Jezebel for a mama? And Jezebel, his mother, had trained him well, I suppose... (laughs) So that when he didn't like Elijah's message and he planned to destroy Elijah, he sent 50 soldiers and a captain to take Elijah and kill him. And do you remember what happened? Fire came down from heaven and swallowed up the 50 and the captain to defend God's prophet Elijah. Now, folks, all I can say is that when you take your stand for Christ in this age... The truth of God is your defense. Jeannie, when you take your stand in a political campaign, the truth of God is your greatest defense. You don't have to defend your... You just stand for for what you know is truth, and God will take care of you. I believe that with all my heart. That is our shield in this day. But God gives us power When Jesus was ascending back to heaven, he said, listen to this, he said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So God has given us a spirit. It is our business to obey and carry out in this age the witness of God and leave to this age the testimony of truth and leave to this time, 1994, the word of God as a witness against the whole world and a witness to God. The third thing that you see in this passage is persecution. For verse 7 says, when they finish their testimony... The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie on the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is a characteristic thing In every age where anyone, whether it's a teenager in high school, whether it's a child in elementary school, when you stand for truth, when you stand for what is right, you may expect persecution. The world does not love light. The world loves darkness rather than light because it matches their deeds. Their deeds are evil. But notice that after all the opposition, though they have some power to defend themselves that's unusual... It's closest to what the prophets had in the Old Testament. Not until they finish their testimony can the beast ascend. But when all the political forces of the world have sought to destroy these two witnesses of truth, only the beast can finally make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Satan takes all of his energy to destroy that witness, but not until they have finished their testimony. Twelve hundred and sixty days. Folks, it's not how long you live, it's how you live. It's not how long you preach, it's how you preach. It's not how long you witness, it's your faithfulness. God's got a time for you. I believe God's got a time, God's got a place, and God's got people for us to reach. Everybody in here has got a sphere of influence that I don't have. You've got people you can touch for Christ, you can love in Jesus' name that I cannot touch. Tracy, you may be a homemaker, but, and you may think there's nothing I can do. You've got neighbors that I would never be able to touch that you can reach for Jesus Christ. Laurie, you got friends in high school. They're not going to listen to an old white preacher. Amen? They're not going to listen to me, but they'll listen to her, won't they? And I believe time and place and sphere are what God gives to every one of us. But you can expect Persecution. Opposition. John the Baptist only preached three years. Jesus only had three and a half years of ministry. Did you know that? David Brainerd, who probably did more to evangelize the Indians than anyone else. He went to Chattanooga to reach those Indians. That's why you have a Brainerd, Brainerd all around there. He died at age 29. Henry Martin, who went to India as a missionary from England, and said, I'd rather, he's the one who said, I'd rather burn out than rust out. He died at age 31. It's not how long, 1260 days. They're finished. They did their job. There was persecution, but they were faithful. But notice the witness. Notice the witness. The scripture says that uh, their enemies, in verse 12, saw them, saw them. And it's like a little line put in there. Those people for the rest of that tribulation knew that they had had two witnesses from God, And when they stand before God for judgment, there will be two witnesses at least to tell what those enemies had done. The fourth thing is that in his time, every witness has a time of promotion. For verse 11, after three and a half days when the beast had overcome them, the breath of life from God entered them, they stood on their feet, great fear fell on those who saw them, and they heard a loud voice from heaven they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And the two faithful witnesses were promoted to glory and ascended to heaven in a cloud just like Jesus ascended to heaven in a cloud. Oh, if I had the time, I could tell you how God does his own promoting in his own way. You, you young people in high school, you feel like the whole world is looking at you and they think you're a nerd because you're a believer. They think that you're weird because you go to a prayer breakfast. But I want to tell you, in 10 years, when you go back to your high school reunion and you're living for the Lord and God has prospered you, I want to tell you, those people who are living for the devil will admire and respect you without measure. For who you are. Hang on. God will promote His witnesses in His own time and His own way, and He always takes care of those who go in His name. He is duty-bound. He is duty-bound to do that. I love Carl Bates's old story. He had one daughter, Judy who taught for a number of years up at Fruitland. Carl Bates was a pastor of the First Baptist Church in Charlotte. And one day, he was driving his little girl to school in the elementary school in Texas. And she said, Daddy, while they were going to school, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. A block later, Daddy, do you love me? Of course I love you. Daddy, are you sure you love me? Yes, I love you. Well, Daddy... I want to tell you what happened yesterday on my way home from school. There were some mean girls who started beating me up. They didn't like what my daddy, the preacher, was saying. And they started beating me up, and they pulled my hair, and they kicked me. And then some of my friends came along and found out what these girls were doing. And they pulled those girls off me, and they walked me all the way home. Daddy, do you still love me? Now, Judy, I told you I love you. Quit asking me that. She said, Daddy, you know Mr. Simpson's grocery store across the street from the house? Those friends that pulled those mean girls off me, I took them all into Mr. Simpson's store, and I told Mr. Simpson to give these girls anything they wanted and charge it to my daddy. (laughs) And Carl Bates, Dr. Bates, said, you know, I'd have gone down to the First National Bank and taken out a $100,000 loan if that was what it took to pay that bill because my girl was standing up for her daddy there's a final thing there's a perspective here in verses 13 and 14 in the same hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell in the earthquake 7,000 men were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven 7,000 were judged the same hour this happened There was an earthquake, 7,000 men of renown, men of name were slain. And in the next chapter, they're blaspheming the name of God, those who were left, who gave glory here, but they blaspheme in the next chapter. Every witness in every age needs to understand it's not my job to make a believer out of everybody. When I first learned that, it was the most liberating thing. I thought I had to force people to do what was right. You know, there are still people who do that. Not just in witnessing, but if he knows the truth, let's make him do what's right. Wait a minute. You can force people to do something, but there's a difference between false repentance and true repentance. False repentance is externally motivated. True repentance is internally motivated. Do you understand the difference? Some of these people saw the judgment of God, saw what God did to those two witnesses, and they gave glory temporarily, and then they blasphemed him. Folks, true repentance always leads to no regrets and always leads to the acceptance of forgiveness. We must have true repentance. But it's not my job to force that. I am not the Holy Spirit. Some of you mothers are running around here trying to play the Holy Spirit's role and force your children to do what only God the Spirit can force them to do. That's the Holy Spirit's task. And so there is great freedom when we as His witnesses in every age testify. We preach, we tell the truth, and leave a witness which God the Holy Spirit can use to draw them into Christ now and he uses to justify judgment in the time to come. But you know what I get from this? Just as these witnesses were cared for in the tribulation, if God could light the fires of evangelism in this church and give us all a new holy passion to share Christ using our personalities... Folks, there's going to come increasing opposition. There will be increasing persecution against truth and against you. But God has promised because we are his, when we do his will in his way, in his time, for his purpose and his glory, he always takes care of his own. Little boy was standing on a street corner. And an old man came along and said, "Son, what are you doing here? He said, I'm waiting for the bus. Well, he said, this is not the bus stop. The bus stop's in the next block. Oh, he said, no, I'm waiting for the bus. The old man said, you're going to miss the bus if you don't get down there to the next block. No, the boy said, this is where I must be. I, I know the bus will stop here. The old man said, I'm telling you, the bus won't stop except at the bus stop. The old man started up to the bus stop, and then all of a sudden he saw the bus come, and the bus screeched to a halt. And the door opened for the little boy where there was no bus stop, and the little boy raised his hand and said to the bus driver, Hi, Daddy. <laughs> Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. Whether I'm standing in this pulpit, or whether I'm in an executive's office witnessing for Jesus, whether I'm handing out a tract, giving out a Bible, witnessing at a football game, knocking on a door. My daddy's the bus driver. He knows where I am, where I'm going, how long I've got, and he takes wonderful care. THE QUESTION IS NOT, WHY IS THE WORLD SO BAD? THE QUESTION IS, WHAT HAS HAPPENED TO THE LIGHT AND THE LAMP STANDS? WHERE ARE WE? WHY ARE WE MAKING SUCH LITTLE IMPACT ON THE WORLD WHEN OUR DADDY TAKES CARE OF US, OUR HEAVENLY FATHER? AMEN? AND THE CROSS STANDS THROUGHOUT ALL HISTORY AS THE ULTIMATE AND FINAL WITNESS it's by the cross that every man, a woman, a boy, and girl will be judged. What did you do with Jesus who went for you to the cross? Let's stand in prayer. Holy Father, speak to each of us. Some of us have people we need to reach for Christ, we failed. Some of us have gotten so busy we don't have time to be witnesses. We say that's not our ministry. Remind us, you leave a witness in every age for every people and in every neighborhood, in every part of this city. You've got somebody here in this building who has to establish a witness for you there on that block, in that neighborhood, on that street, in that office, in that store, in that high school, in that middle school. Help us to be faithful witnesses because we trust you like you took care of the two witnesses in the tribulation take care of us and speak to anybody who's never been saved here this morning to every person and draw them to the Christ of the cross and lay upon every one of our hearts the name of someone who needs to hear who needs to have a witness in Jesus name amen